before we get going in this pod, um, there is an abrupt ending because my batteries died, but this is a great pod. Hope you enjoy it, and we will have those technical difficulties fixed by next time. But thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Thundergrads. I'm your host today, Haley Hurst, and I'm here with analyst Michael Martin, and we'll be going over everything postseason, some stuff over the Thunder, some stuff covering the playoffs. So we're ready to jump right in. Are you ready, Michael? Yes. I mean, we just got done off Easter weekend. Do you have any fun Easter stories growing up? I don't. I mean, we used to like grow um, like candy in our yard. So we would plant like little candy seeds and the Easter bunny would sprout the seeds and they would grow into lollipops. But that's about as like young Easter stuff. I mean, the older you get, the more money you get um, and you're a little Easter basket. Yeah, you get so. in your family. I mean, it, w- it was the life. I had those. We used to like go Easter egg hunting and they were filled with candy um, and like most of it was filled with money though. And so that was, that was the big lottery who could get the golden egg that had like 20 bucks, I think. When I was a little kid, um, I did Easter egg hunting around campus around OU one time. Oh. Like our church came over here and did a service and I got all green Easter eggs in my basket and I was like six. Did or you s- try to get all green? Yes. Okay. On purpose. It's my favorite color. And I showed it to the Easter Bunny, and he threw all my eggs out of the basket. He, like, tossed it, the whole thing. And now my favorite color is no longer green. Uh, I would just hate the Easter Bunny after that. It's not a good experience, Michael. Don't trust the Easter Bunny, kids. Not at all. I'm excited for the playoffs. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I know this is your first time really diving into the playoffs, but I'm having a good time just with the physicality of it and it's just a little bit more strategic yeah. and I like the idea of seeing the same teams every day. Absolutely. There's also been some very interesting games and I know we're going to get into that later on, but first Sam Presti, um, general manager for the Thunder had a press conference yesterday. What can Thunder fans take away from that conference? First thing they said was uh, that he talked about was how special Shea is and just how great of a player he is. It's not like I don't know. It's not that often you get a player as good as him. I know the Thunder in a unique situation because they've had Kevin Durant, they've had Russell Westbrook, Harden, Chris Paul. But he had a fun story on there that I thought was really interesting about Shea. So the night they traded Russell Westbrook, uh, Sam Presti was in his office around 3 a.m. He told this story at the press conference. And he's emotional. He's calling that uh, Daryl Morey about the trade. He's writing his um, co-op into the paper or his op-ed in the paper that uh, talking about the rebuild and it's at like 3 a.m. in the offices and he just hears some dribbling in the background of the gym and he's like who is here at 3 a.m. on like a Saturday why what are you doing and then he looks through the window and a guy is shooting around with some guy and he's not wearing any thunder gear he's like well what are we doing in his organization we can't even get this guy like a thunder t-shirt or whatever it was Shay, and he had just been traded to the Thunder like a day before, and he's there at 3 a.m. working out. And Presti said, if this guy turns out to be somebody, I'm going to remember this story. And he said, now I'm comfortable telling that story because I think Shay is going to be really special. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. So I'm really excited for Shay. He's definitely a big part of this plan. Presti and Dagnall and Shay have all talked about that they have really deep conversations about the future of this team. But that was the number one takeaway. Another one was that... A lot of people are talking about the Thunder. We have, uh, too, about um, the weaknesses of the roster. And I thought Presti had a good point where he said, because, you know, it's you want to form the biggest pieces of your roster first, and we don't want to jump ahead and, um, I guess, diagnose problems that we don't know we have yet. Because if you would have said last year, 
without Giddy, you said the problem. So, like, well, they need more shooting and they need another playmaker. Well, fast forward, they have Trey Mann, who's a better shooter. They have Josh Giddy, who's another playmaker. So I think that it'll be really important after this draft to kind of settle their core, and then they'll go from there and add the pieces around those guys. Absolutely. I think it's also very interesting to note, you know, a couple weeks ago, LeBron gave him a really big shout out and a lot of praise. And so there's been a lot of speculation, you know, is Sam Presti leaving? And I think he made it very clear that he's not wanting to leave OKC and he's really focused on building a great team here, a great roster. Yeah. I mean, some people it's like you get the age old thing of like, I would rather live in LA than Oklahoma City. A lot of people say that. But at the same time, Sam Presti has full power over this organization his fingerprints are over everything like literally everything (laughs) the logo to the community outreach that's all him he has full control no one's going to tell him and basically he can have this job until he retires or doesn't want it so grass is not always greener on the other side especially in a high pressure place like the lakers or the knicks or something like that that have been rumored for him those are the ways that you quickly get fired and then just remember there are only 30 of these jobs in the league so don't take him for granted and I think that's what he's doing exactly exactly he also mentioned something about a healthy training camp I think everyone's coming back everyone's going to be playing healthy Shea's going to be back off of his ankle injury um, Robinson Earl will be back off of his injury Giddy off of his hip injury but Giddy's also pr- playing in the Utah Summer League which we'll get into later um, so I think a big struggle this season was injuries and so now everyone's starting to get healthier they've been taking the time off and so I'm really excited to see what's going to happen outside of training camp for sure they, they said that's a big reason is why they held those guys out at the end of the season it's definitely not tanking that wasn't it it was because they want to be healthy for exactly. next year exactly not tanking at all not us winning with our g league players no it's a little bit of both though uh, because it is a, a thing where it's a lost season you got obviously we know the thunder weren't going to make the playoffs so it's focusing on next year they want to get guys developed they want to maximize their draft assets And they want those guys to get healthy and be able in a position where they can see what they have with the roster, which is another point that I had down is that they're going to let the season play out next year. You can interpret that how you want, but how I interpreted it was that they're not going to tank these guys, but they're also not going to give them any help like free agents or trade-wise. If this team ends up being good, it's because the guys on the roster have gotten a lot better. It's not going to be because they added anybody spectacular. And then Presti also talked about, you know, if the season ends up, you know, going sideways where the team's really bad again, then they might rest some guys at the end of the season like this year. But it looks like it's not going to be a tank from start to end of the season that they're going to kind of let them play out and see what they have with the roster and go from there. Absolutely. And I think that's such a smart way to approach it too because you know we've been trying to rebuild for years now and there's only two years yeah but like it's felt like longer I feel like especially for like Thunder fans um I was talking to some of my friends who have grown up Thunder fans and they said this has been some of the longest two years of their life which I think is a little bit dramatic but for me being new to the whole basketball scene I think I was waiting for them to get better and not realizing the potential until the season ended so that was a big eye-opener for myself yeah if you're a little bit impatient if you think this is a long rebuild. I mean, Sacramento <laughs> hasn't made the playoffs since 2004. I mean, there's some other teams who have never made the NBA Finals. The Thunder are a really great organization who have had some success. They've taken a step back in the last two years. But, I mean, not even two years ago they were in the playoffs. They were in the bubble playing against the Rockets. Shea has been to the playoffs. Lou Dort's been to the playoffs. I'm not really too worried about it. I think that this brings me actually to my next point, that 2023 is the year. 
for when the Thunder are going to push their chips in and start doing some different things. There's some reasons behind that is, one, you get Shea and will be around his prime. I think he'll be around 25 at that time, which is typically when guys really establish themselves and figure out who they are. Um, a lot of the bad money on the Thunder roster, such as like Derek Favors and Kimba Walker's buyout contract, will be gone. So That's they'll good. have more cash. And then also, 2023, they'll get another draft pick, which will be a big draft with guys like Victor Wimignana. He's a guy who's seven foot four from France, wow. who's incredible. And then lastly, um, 2023 is the new CBA or the collective bargaining agreement. And in the past, the Thunder have kind of gotten screwed over by the CBA, like the James Harden trade happened a lot with the CBA happening in 2012, which was trying to make it where super teams were harder to make, and it didn't do that. So, Will you explain the CBA for listeners who don't know what the CBA yeah, so is, the CBA, namely myself? It, <laughs> the CBA is the collective bargaining agreement. Okay. So it's basically like whenever they have a, a lockout, that's what it's about. It's about um, the new TV deal is usually what it's about and like who gets what money and what percentages. And it's like basketball related income. So it's usually 50-50 right down the middle. But sometimes players will say, you know, we want more days off in between games. And then it will be kind of collectively, uh, collectively bargained between them and the owners. The owners might say, we want to play less games because we see these guys getting hurt. We want this. So they'll go back and forth and figure that out. And it's also a big thing because it's about what the cap will look like for the next few years. Okay. So the Thunder are waiting for that year to know what exactly what the rules they're playing with will be. And they don't want to. That's part of why I said they're not going to push anything this year. Is they want to wait until that summer. Absolutely, absolutely. Is there anything else you want to add about the press conference? Um, I thought you had a really good point about forming a competitive environment. I know that you, being a big Alabama fan, this is a big <laughs> thing from Nick Saban of just like they don't make promises to guys that we're going to keep you around. It's like iron sharpens iron. We're going to get a bunch of five stars and just whoever's the best player is going to play. Absolutely. And I think we really kind of saw that this season with Shea and Giddy and then Shea getting hurt and having to see Baisley and Trey Mann step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really helped the team chemistry, but it also gave those players who would never play if Shea was playing an opportunity to, and to fight for a spot. So I thought you saw a lot of good competitive talent coming up in that, in that short time period. Yeah. Presti talked about it because the Thunder right now have four picks in the top 34 of this next draft. And he said, you know, we've had conversations, even though we don't have enough roster spots, we might just take all four guys and we don't have to make those cuts until the end of training camp in like August. And maybe we'll just see which guys fight it out. And like I said, iron sharpens iron. We'll see the competitive environment and see who comes out the best. And if we have to swallow some money and cut some guys or trade some guys, that'll just happen. But we're going to be the benefactor of these guys pushing each other to be better. I think that's awesome. But so the Pelicans actually beat the Clippers in this That playoff. was big. That was pretty big. So this has major implications for the Thunder. What do you think will be the biggest impact for the Thunder team? Well, for those who don't know, the Thunder have the fourth best lottery odds just with their own pick. But Whoop. back to the Shea Gilgis Alexander trade that happened a while ago where it was like Shea, Danilo Gallinari, and fir- seven first round picks for Paul George it happened about three years ago in the summer, I think. Yeah, it woke me up at like 3 a.m. My phone was blowing up. And, um, yeah, so that pick's coming to the Thunder via the Clippers. If the Clippers had made the playoffs and beaten the Pelicans, the pick would have dropped to 15. But now that the Clippers lost, it goes up to 12. And we talked about it before we started recording, that there's an opportunity cost for everything. You Like if I said, Haley, let me cut you in line for something, for like concert tickets, you go what am I going to get out of it? You're not going to just like be nice to be nice on some of those things, right? Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Haley would never. I would have to fight you. Exactly. You're going to fight me? Yeah. For just asking? Okay. Yeah, no. 
Uh, but yeah, just things like that where if the Thunder did want to move up from 15 to 12, hypothetically, if they did have the 15th pick, you know, it might cost you another first round pick, might cost you some second round picks or an interesting player you like at the same time. That uh, pick at 12, it has the 12th odds. It has a 7% chance of jumping into the top four, which, fingers crossed, that's what we want. In an ideal world, we get the number one and number two pick, and we all burn what the city dream. down and run what around crazy. Yeah, that would be insane. I don't even know how I would comprehend that or react to it. But at the same time, the yeah, the Clippers pick at 12 also helps you because if you want to trade into the top eight and get another top 10 pick, 12 is just more appealing than 15. It's just... Bare knuckles, just very obvious. Just three spots does make up a very big difference. But um, having two more lottery picks coming to the Thunder team that's desperate for talent is going to be very, very helpful. Absolutely. And there's also some been some notable 12th overall picks in the past few years. We have Joshua Primo, Jeremy Lamb, Stephen Adams, um, PJ Washington, and they've all been impactful players that were picked at 12th. So there's still a lot of talent picked later on. Yeah, and especially if you have a really good scouting team like the Thunder, it's going to work to your advantage. I mean, they got Trey Mann out of the scraps last year at 18, where not a lot of people thought that he would be drafted. And like I mentioned, say if the Thunder did want to get somebody, it's like we've identified our guy and we've gotten intel that he's going to go at thir- uh, he's going to go at like 10. Well, the Thunder go, uh, well, now that we have 12, let's move up. Or the other way around, let me explain it better, where it's like, a guy's going to go at 13, and the, if the Thunder had the 15th pick, they'd have to use assets to go, go up there. But at 12, you can just pick them, and you don't have to spend anything else. So it's not going to be – I mean, this is pretty big. It's not as huge as last year with the Thunder where they could have had two top five picks between their pick and Houston's, which um, they had the right if it dropped out of the top four. But this is still a really big deal, and just giving Presti more ammo to go out there and get top-level talent. Presti just has such a good eye for picking the most, not most random, but the people you feel like wouldn't fit in and then making a big impact on the team. I think a big part of that is the fact that he has so much equity within his job is that a lot of GMs, you know, if you don't pick the consensus guy and that guy turns out to be really good, you're going to get clowned. You might get fired. But Presti's built up, uh, built up enough goodwill and trust where, like, Josh Giddy was not supposed to go six. He was supposed to go, like, nine or ten. But because Presti has so much belief from, like, ownership and a track record of drafting well, he's able to go and pull the trigger on something like that. And the ownership's not going to step in and go, like, hey, no, we actually we know who Jonathan Kaminga is. and He's a five-star. We'd rather have that guy. There's some trust built in there. Absolutely, and Giddy has been such an asset for the Thunder this season. I'm going to tell your boyfriend about you and Josh Giddy. Oh, he already knows. Very big crush. He already knows about my crush on Giddy. He hears about it every single week (laughs) as I'm writing this. But speaking of Giddy, Poku and Giddy are um, playing in the Utah Summer League, as I mentioned earlier. What improvements do you want to see from these two young players? So traditionally with Summer League, it happens in Vegas. There was a time before where there was a Vegas Summer League and an Orlando one. The Thunder played in Orlando because the Thunder are a secret organization and don't want people watching their (laughs) players. Um, But now I guess Utah is having their own like pre-Summer League. And the Thunder said... What's in Utah exactly besides the Utah Jazz? mountains okay (laughs) i just feel like utah is such a random place to have a summer league like let's go have a remote summer league in the mountains no one can know that's the idea the thunder are like they don't like having a bunch of people knowing what they're doing they're very much like the patriots and stuff like that where it's like 
don't ask questions. Sketchy business. Yeah, like you know, with Alabama, it's like stay out of our practices. Hey. Don't ask a lot of secret questions. Just I know watch here the at games. Gaylord, we have that little perch um, that overlooks the practice field for OU. So I I can note many times where I've seen girls run off that lap platform because they've been caught taking videos or photos of the football players. So oh, we, yeah. all about secrecy it's here a big at OU ESPN too. story last year whenever they were filming. Remember it was a uh, Caleb Williams versus Spencer Rattler. Yeah, in that there practice. was that reporter who was like like giving the inside scoop because he was sitting on the yeah, balcony. On that balcony yeah over there on the third floor yeah he was videoing over there now brent venables being the nice guy he is he's just like everyone come over and video practice you can come stand on the field i love that i love brent i'm really excited to see what he does with the football team but that's ou back to the thunder yeah so for um the summer league yeah there it's a little bit i guess more secretive quote-unquote or whatever but the way Presti explained it is they're going to play in both summer leagues in Utah and in Vegas and Utah is going to be the more a little more established guys so Giddy and Poku Trey Mann will be there and some other guys will play in that one but won't play in the other one and the other one in Vegas will be more of like these first round picks rookies guys on two ways like Lindy Waters I think Trey Mann is also confirmed to be there but more like trying out some guys but as to finally answer your question after all this, uh, for Giddy, I mean, the shooting is obviously number one. I, I want to see his shot improve and just see he's a little more a scoring good punch for him. Yeah. He's such a good playmaker, but I just want to see him take risks because I feel like he plays it safe so often. Well, and that's the beauty of Summer League is the stats don't cap- count for anything. Nobody cares. I mean, there might some be some people who overreact where it's like, oh, Josh Giddy went one for 12 in a, uh, from three in a – summer league game in utah but it's like who cares about that but i think that ball handling uh getting in way better shape just physically and then shooting are the top three things i want to see from him i also want to see some defensive improvement i mean he's already solid defensively but he can always be a lot better and i feel like he plays such good offense to like be a more well-rounded player obviously he has to know how to score but he also needs to know how to get the ball yeah, it's going to be a big thing of just him physically, like I mentioned, of getting in really, really good shape, lifting weights to kind of figure out where his position is. Because I think he can guard threes and fours and maybe switch on to some other guys, but he's not quick enough to stay with a lot of little guards. Some of it, a lot of defense is just effort and just know-how, which he has both of those. But then it gets to a level where it's just like, this guy's faster and better than you. So there's only so much he can do. Just he's genetically hampered, I guess, <laughs> by that since he's just not the most athletic guy. But he has real size, real length, so that'll help him. As for Poku, the the man of the hour, everyone's favorite guy, the the fanny pack fiend. Uh, he's gonna play in Utah. This is gonna be year three for Poku. I just want to see him have like this is gonna sound, I guess simplistic but like i want to know he's out there like you can he needs to stand out like these guys in the summer league are like i said a lot of guys who are rookies who are trying to just make their way in the league if you're poku or in like giddy and you're year two year three in the league and you've played real minutes and had like real opportunities you should stand out over these other guys and show like that you're definitely one of the best players can we also note that he's 30 per, he's under 30 percent from his three-point line and I think he, that's something he really needs to work on throughout this offseason. And I want to see him take control of in the summer league is his actual aim and his actual like making those score points instead of going under 30%. Is that Poku that you're that's talking Poku. about? That's okay. Poku. 
So I think a big thing for him is just like obviously body questions of just being super skinny and super long of just putting on more muscle because there were some times where I was watching him and it's just like he was just heaving from three like he wasn't strong enough to do it. So I think that's just conditioning and lifting more weights and getting more comfortable. But those are the types of things where I want to see the difference of like development with him. Even if he's missing like it should look better just by the I guess idea that you're lifting more weights and you're in better shape. And I just want to see more, like, dynamic Poku because it felt like he was playing really safe last year. And I want to see some of the more fun things that we saw two years ago, obviously cut down on mistakes. But I want to see him carve out a real role for himself and something that we can, I guess, forecast for the season. So it looks like Poku and Giddy need to start hitting the gym and running some laps. That's that's it. We're going to get in the weight room at, like, 4 a.m., like the cliche things where it's, like, the AC's off. No fan. No fan. You know, first one in, last one out type mentality. All the weights are rusted. There's no <laughs> working lights. There's just a guy in there who just yells at you the whole time. Just, we're going to make like a music video of it. Abs- absolutely. So, Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year last night. Lou Dort has been a key defensive player on the Thunder and has gained a lot of attention over the years. Do you think he could possibly win Defensive Player of the Year someday? First, I want to talk about Marcus Smart because it is a big award for him to win. He's the first guard to win um, Defensive Player of the Year since Gary Payton in 1996. Guards just don't win this award, That's which I think is pretty cool that he's winning it because I think voters are kind of figuring out that it's a lot harder to do guard on the perimeter than to just stand in the lane for a lot of things, even though the paint is key for the NBA and layups are the easiest shots and big guys usually guard those. But Marcus Smart's been incredible. I think Lou Dort has a chance to win a defensive player of the year maybe one day. Um, He's not the defender that Marcus Smart is yet. I'll say that Dort is a better one-on-one defender, but he has ways to improve to get like Marcus Smart because Marcus Smart is just so switchable that he can guard bigger guys because he's so stout and so strong, which Dort could probably do. But a lot of it's just kind of the off-ball activity of like, filling in the gaps, um, staying with your guy, and sometimes Dort can get a little bit like daydreamy on those where he kind of gets lost. But it's just that constant activity. And if the Thunder, you know, a lot of it comes down to with these awards is like how good is your team? Like the Celtics are far and away the number one defense in the NBA. The uh, Thunder would have to be one of the top five defensive teams in the NBA and have one of the best records in the league. So I think Lou Dort has the potential and the talent to do that, but a lot of it's going to be, I guess, um, up to how good the team is around him. Absolutely. And I think Smart, I have on here that he's a quote-unquote athletic freak because he puts in so much effort in the game, out the game. He is not someone I would personally want to play against because I feel like that would just kind of scare me. And he's also been able to maintain um, his health throughout this um pretty much his entire career. He's always, you know, 100% on defense all the time. He's constantly healthy. I don't think we've really ever seen him out with an injury. I don't think so. I think he might have had a leg thing or something like that earlier in his career. Yeah, Marcus Smart, I think I've compared him to Lou Dort in a lot of ways. I think Marcus Smart's a better ball handler and a better passer, but Dort's a better scorer already than him and a better shooter. Um, I'm just really excited to see how much better Lou Dort can get. But, yeah, Marcus Smart, he's a guy who uh, played in Dallas. I think he was a five-star. He came from OSU after a year, goes to the Celtics, and they asked him to play a way different role this year, and it's really launched them into becoming a way better team of – 
they said, we're just not going to play a point guard. We're going to say Marcus Smart used to be a five-star point guard. Even though we played you at shooting guard most of your career, we're going to ask you to be a facilitator. And he's really stepped up in that role, which is not an easy thing to do. He's taking less shots. He's still guarding like a maniac on the other end. And he's facilitating and kind of like, like I've talked about, like watering plants around the team, making sure everybody feels involved, making sure everybody's getting their touches. And he's doing a really great job because their offense is moving a lot better and you're seeing them having success not only in the regular season but in the playoffs as well as they beat the Nets the other day. So what are your hopes for Dort going into this next season? Offensively, defensively, or just overall? Overall. Um, I want to see more consistency on the shot. Just sometimes it feels like he goes hot and cold, just kind of streaky. I want to see him take, I don't know, it feels like some of it, like, it's the good and the bad that comes with a season where you're tanking. Of Guys can take shots and it doesn't really matter. There's no pressure, and so you want guys to try it. But at the same time, you want them to build good habits and not to start taking shots that you wouldn't want them to take later on when you're in the playoffs at some point. So some of those shots I'd like to see him cut out. Um, I'd like to see him become a better passer and a better, a better ball handler. Sometimes he just kind of gets his, uh, puts his head down and dr- drives to the rim without looking at the guys around him. He's really improved as a finisher, so that's really great. And then defensively, um, on ball, there's nothing you can do to get better than what he's doing right now. Uh, just some of those small things I talked about, just being more versatile, being able to switch on to bigger guys, which he does, but just for spurts of like playing on a center for two possessions. Um, and then just being more active as a guy playing off the ball. Because sometimes guys can get lost where it's like, you know, if you're guarding somebody and they have the ball, you're right on them, right? And then they pass the ball, and it's like you're going to relax a little bit because they don't have the ball. But some of these guys are so great at just moving without the ball, like a Steph Curry, where if you fall asleep, you put your hands on your legs for just a second, he's gone around two screens and he's taking a shot around you. So it's just being active and being aware. But um, I think that Lou Dort's going to be in a great position next year. I'm Really interested to see just a lot of this will be determined by who they draft because they could end up pushing him to the second unit or they'll continue with him as a starter. But it'll be really interesting to see him with the full roster once everybody's healthy again with Giddy, Shea, Bays, and insert draft pick. I agree. I think it's going to be an interesting season. But it has been three days of the basketball playoff. Three days. Three so days. what is your five biggest takeaways? The good, the bad, players, teams, storylines, trends. What stood out to you, Michael? Do you want to go back and forth just do one at a time? Absolutely. Okay. Ladies first. You can go first, okay. actually. All right. I'm not a lady. I'll go first, though. Thank you. <laughs> um, the first one is that the Suns are rolling. The Suns are killing people right now. I mean, it's only been one game. They'll play again tonight against the Pelicans. But I'm just forecasting. I think they could go, like, com- uh, on a streak and win eight in a row with zero losses into the Western Conference Finals. Because right now they're playing the Pelicans, which, no offense to the Pelicans, they're just undermanned against a much better Phoenix team. It's not their fault. Phoenix is just a lot better. And in the second round, Phoenix will get the uh, winner of Utah and Dallas. And those teams both look very hampered right now. Luka has been injured. Utah hasn't even looked that great, even with their full lineup in there. So I am forecasting a lot of dominance for the Suns. They're going to just completely destroy a lot of these teams. But it'll be a, it'll be really interesting to see who they face in the Western Conference Finals and maybe the Finals, because I think that's the only time they're going to get a challenge. I don't know if you meant to do this pun, but you were like sun and then you said forecast. And I was like, that's kind of funny. I try my best. I really do. Well, I have kind of a pun because the heat are hot right now. Oh, 
<laughs> um, they've won seven of their last eight games, showing no sign of slowing down, even though um, they're only one game into their series with Atlanta. They blew the Hawks out 115-91 to in Game 1, showing defensive dominance. It would not surprise me one bit if the Heat can finish this series in four games and move on to the next round, feeling really good about themselves. Yeah, before the playoffs, I picked the Heat to win in five. I just thought that Trey at some point would go off and just win them one game because he's just so good. But they made it really, really difficult on him. They're just cutting the head off the snake with Trey because he's there alpha and omega of their offense he led the league in total uh, points and total assists and they held him to one made shot I think he had eight points uh, six of them were at the line one was a free throw like just completely shut him down really being physical with him and that's some of the things that you worry about in the playoffs with some of these guys like Trey who are smaller is being targeted and just kind of being bullied because the playoffs are way more physical but this was a bad matchup for Atlanta Miami just kind of beats them in everything they do Atlanta does not want to play physical, and Miami wants to go like punch you in your mouth right before they play. They, I love a good team like that. They have I love no, the violence. They have no problem. It's like, oh, you want to like street fight instead of playing <laughs> basketball? Miami would love nothing more than to just fight everyone, and it's like we're not even going to keep score. NBA fight night. And Miami's roster might win the whole thing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Miami's in a really good position. I think that uh, they'll probably either sweep them or win in five, but it'll come down to a lot of... Some of it is just injuries with Atlanta. I think they'd still lose in four or five, maybe six, if they had their guys healthy. But you have like Clint Capella, who's their center and like their quarterback of their defense has been hurt. I don't think he's going to come back until maybe game three. John Collins is coming off a plantar fasciitis injury on his foot. Um, but Atlanta's got to figure some things out. They got to be tougher, and Trey's got to find different ways to score outside of like hunting for fouls because they're just not going to call a lot of those things in the playoffs. Absolutely. So, what is your second takeaway? Let's see here. The Warriors are back. The Warriors are back. Jordan Poole, it was a pool party the other day. He was going off. I think he has like the most points of any guy in his first two playoff game appearances as a starter. Uh, they have Steph Curry coming off the bench. How many times can you have a two-time MVP coming off your bench? <laughs> but that's just a testament to how good of a guy Steph Curry is, that he doesn't want to mess up the flow that they're in. So he's like, I'll come off the bench. I'm coming off an injury. I don't want to screw up what you guys have. And they are just on fire. Yeah, Jordan Poole in his first two career playoff games, 59 points and 11 assists on 86% true shooting. He's just dominating out there. He's one of my favorite players. He's just getting everywhere he wants, and he's just playing with so much confidence. And the Warriors now, they look like a real, like I mentioned, Phoenix might roll all the way. They look like the only team in the West that could really push them just with the amount of like shooters and the confidence these guys are playing with because they're finally getting Draymond back healthy. They're finally getting uh, Steph Curry back healthy. They're um, Clay Thompson's rehabbing. Um, before this, Draymond, Clay, and Steph only played 11 minutes together all year. They didn't even play a full quarter together. And the Warriors have never lost a series where all uh, three of those guys start every game. They've never lost a single one. So they're still in a really good position. They have that championship equity. They're not scared to go play anybody. Steve Kerr's a great coach who's really smart. But it's looking like the Warriors are back to being like a death machine, like Star Destroyer. Just they go out there and they're having fun and high-fiving and your team's down by 30. 
Absolutely. I also had Jordan Poole. I think he is a future star of this league, and he's making the Warriors look super scary right now. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, he put up 30 in the first game, 29 in the second game against the Nuggets, and he's been able to carry a lot of weight that Curry has not been able to this season. So I'm really excited to see what happens after this season for Jordan Poole because his career is just beginning, I feel like. He's about to get paid. His extension, I think, is this summer. He took a good... good time to start playing really well where a lot of people <laughs> are noticed yeah but uh jordan Poole gives them a lot of different things um i mean obviously the warriors they don't have kevin durant they don't have some of those other guys from earlier seasons but um what they do need around clay and steph is somebody else who can space the offense and handle the ball and score off the dribble and jordan Poole's giving them all that and more it'll be really interesting to see this i guess new death lineup that they have the old death lineup they had in like 2016 was a uh, Barnes, Iguodala, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, and now it looks like their new, the new new death lineup is uh, Clay, Steph, Poole, Wiggins, and Draymond, and they're just switching all over the place. They're running Jokic out of the gym. They're playing at a really high level, and Steph's not even all the way back. He's coming off the bench, scoring like thirty points a game. He's looked great, but. Yeah, it'll uh, be really interesting to see how far the Warriors can go because right now they're in a really good groove. Absolutely. Who's your third takeaway? Or what is your third takeaway? You uh, talked about it, future stars. I had Jordan Poole in that one as well, but I wanted to talk about Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Maxey, who have been incredible. Anthony Edwards, who I just love. I think he's hilarious. His He named his dog Anthony Edwards Jr., <laughs> which I don't know why. I just thought that was funny. But he goes out there and he um, just dominates a game as a second-year player, even with all-stars around him like D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. He's the guy who like grabbed the game by the collar and was like, we're not losing this. I'm going to control this pace. And he just looks like a real superstar out there. Um, he's not a superstar yet, but he looks like he has the potential. And his ceiling is basically limitless right now. He's so good. He's so talented. He's like a nuclear athlete, like Russell Westbrook in his prime level. He's just jumping over guys, jumping through guys. He was a football player in high school, and you can see that because he just knocks guys out of the way. He's just bigger and more physical. And as for Tyrese Maxey, um, he's on Philadelphia. He's playing really great. He is just the second player in NBA playoff history, 21 years old or younger to average 30 points per game on 60% shooting in in a two-game span since LeBron in 2006. If you're getting compared to LeBron in a stat, that's usually a pretty good indicator. But um, Philadelphia's had a lot of questions of like, you know, they have James Harden, they have Joel Embiid, you know, who's their third guy who can help them out in scoring when those guys are off? Tyrese Maxey has really stepped up um, alongside Tobias Harris, but Tyrese Maxey this whole season when they had Ben Simmons sit out, he's the guy who stepped up as a second-year player, has doubled his and tripled his numbers all across the board, and looked like a really, really great player who could turn into an all-star one day. You know, it's so funny that you say Maxey piece. I also had him on my takeaway list, and I feel like we're on the same wave wavelength right now. Um, because the 76ers look like a possible title contenders, but it's absolutely not because of James Harden. I think that he continuously shows that he cannot play well in the postseason, which is really unfortunate because he put up 22 and 14 in his first two game series against the Raptors, which isn't awful, but that's just not you know the stats that we expect to see from him. I think he's becoming more of a facilitator. Those are not exactly the stats you would expect from prime James Harden. I think he's exiting his prime, but you mentioned it. His playoff career resume is not great. Not and great. It's 
not going to get helped by the fact, like, obviously, it's easy to play well when you're up 20 against Toronto and Scotty Barnes is out and Gary Trent Jr. is sick and you're playing in Philadelphia and the crowd's going crazy and you're shooting, like, 20 more free throws than the other team. James Harden, we need to see him actually get tested, and he's not going to get tested until it's, like, crunch time. Crunch time is five minutes left, and it's within five points. So I'm really interested to see with that and just – if any of these series, maybe Joel Embiid and James Harden don't get some of those calls where they're living at the free throw line, how they adapt to some of those things. But um, Philadelphia is rolling right now, but I would still be a little bit cautious as to say that they're a team that could win the championship or go to the finals because they've got a tough road ahead of them. I mean, I don't know what side of the bracket they're on. I think they're in the 4-5 slot, so they'd probably have to play Miami in the next round, which that'd be a slugfest. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think uh, Philadelphia looks like they're rebounding in a nice way, but they're also playing a team that looks like they're kind of like playing with on one leg. Absolutely. And I feel like since you mentioned er- earlier with Maxi, the pairing with him and Joel Embiid has been really beneficial to this team postseason, especially because Embiid looks like he's in his normal form. He's putting up double digit rebounds in both games, along with 31 and 19 points. Maxi put up 38 in the first game and 23 in the second game. Um, he got a triple double, correct? I'm not for sure, but that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah was, I think he, he was did. incredible, though. Yeah, yeah. Tyrese Maxey gives their team a different element because with James Harden and Bede, you have two guys who are really skilled, but they're not necessarily going to play at a super fast tempo, whereas Maxey is like Speedy Gonzalez just running around all the time so he can really push the pace. I guess my biggest question with Philadelphia is I don't know how many other wing defenders they have because they have um, Atis Teibel and... Danny Green, who are both solid defenders, but they don't really give you anything on offense. So it's kind of that balancing act of, like, you want Tyrese Maxey out there because he's a great offensive player and he gives you a lot more points, but he also can't, like, guard a traffic cone. So you need that, but you also need Matisse Thibel, who can shut down people, but he also can't, like, shoot a golf ball into the ocean if he was standing on the beach. So it's just finding that uh, balance in between. But I don't know that they have the wing defenders to go through it because – you're going to have to play against Jimmy Butler. You're going to have to play against Giannis, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant, some of those guys. If you're going to make it to the finals, and if you make it to the finals, you'll have to play against Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Devin Booker, um, Chris Paul, all those guys. But I think Philadelphia is in a pretty good position, but I wouldn't – I'm still to be determined. Okay, gotcha. So what's your four out of five takeaways? Celtics-Nets is going to be a bloodbath. That's what I put, too. It could be one of the best first-round matchups ever. I mean, you have everything. It's one of the more talented 7-2 matchups you'll ever see. Not many times do you see a team who's a 7 seed with a former MVP and then another guy who like scored 30 in the finals and went to multiple finals. Kevin Durant and Kyrie were incredible. Well, Kyrie was incredible in that first game. It looked like he, he was just 39 points. I don't think he missed a shot until like the second quarter or something like that. But he was insanely great. He was. I was um, texting a friend. I think that was the best. I was telling him. I think that's the best top to bottom game Kyrie's ever played. He's played in more important games, but just like he did everything. He was a great passer. He passed out of double teams. He showed real effort on the defensive end and locked up some guys. They came up short, but. That series is going to be really, really fun. Kevin Durant was not himself, and they still almost won, which I'd be a little bit nervous about if I was a Celtics fan, but not too much. You know, got to take it one game at a time. I think Kevin Durant's obviously going to bounce back, but the Celtics are in a good position. They um, hopefully get Robert Williams back sooner rather than later off that torn MCL. But Jason Tatum's playing at an MVP level and looks like one of the guys in the league. 
Absolutely, but can we take a second to talk to talk about Kyrie? Yes, because there is a big there is a press conference right after where he addressed um, the Boston fans because during the game he was flipping off fans. He was you know not being the kindest player, but also those Boston fans were dishing it to him. So I thought it was very interesting to see him kind of lose his cool on on the court just with those fans because I don't know I've never personally seen an NBA player kind of lose it like that. I mean he didn't lose it, obviously because he still put up 39 points you know in his old arena but still but kind of give it back to the fans yeah you ever been booed at a pageant i've never been booed at a pageant but i don't feel like i have anyone that would want to boo me at the same time Is that a challenge no 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 absolutely <laughs> not with you. but yeah Kyrie, it's not as simple as you know um you know Kyrie's playing really well and they're booing him some of it is because Kyrie had a disastrous season with the Celtics a few years ago and then he said if you'll have me I'll resign and then proceeded to not resign and leave for another team so there's some bad blood between those te- two teams Kyrie uh stomped on their logo last year and like rubbed his foot on it but some of it is just childish things absolutely there, that is so childish there's some i guess like code of conduct things i think with like talking to guys on the floor like it should never be personal it should never be about family it should just be like talking about the game but there are some adults who are just clowns who feel like they need to cuss out players to impress their girlfriend or their kids or something like that and it's like you just need to shut up but Kyrie as bad as it looked for him I feel like players should be able to give it back to the fans if the fans aren't going to have any consequences because it's it's kind of a weird toe thing to total line or whatever yeah. Yeah. Am I saying that right? I Yeah. It's like a weird line that you don't know if you should cross, yeah. if there is a line in the sand. Like it's very, it's never really addressed. And so I think he addressed it pretty well in his press conference, but just like watching it, I was kind of shook. Well, the thing is, it's like people go, it's like, well, Kyrie flipped off the fans. Like that's not right. And then LeBron handles it in a different way where somebody said something about his kids and he's like, I want these people out of here. And they're like, look at LeBron so soft. He got those people kicked out. And it's like, well, what do you want? Because yeah. he got them kicked out. He didn't say anything bad to them. Kyrie didn't get them kicked out and then said something bad to them and you don't like it. It's like there's just no way of winning. People, fans need to realize that they're not as important like in the actual environment or the role that they have. Like you can boo, you can cheer for your guys. But like when you're just like verbally harassing a person and like cussing them out and it's not about basketball and it's like getting personal, there's just no need for that. Absolutely. So moving on, what is your last takeaway from the three days that the playoffs have been happening the utah jazz are in trouble they only have it tied 1-1 so you'd think that they're in the driver's seat they stole home court away from dallas is that one of yours also that's my last one is the mavericks might be able to win this series did we without match Luka? five for five i we didn't think even we prep did on this that's crazy but yeah um Luca's not even there. They barely win game one. Game two, Jalen Brunson goes out there and puts out a, on a clinic. 41 just, points. Just kills those guys playing some 1975 basketball, mm-hmm. being like a six-foot point guard guy out of Villanova. I really love Jalen Brunson. But it looks like Utah is just destined to self-combust. They just don't have great chemistry. It's kind of one of those – somebody um, compared it to this. I don't know if I said this to you or John, but they compare the Jazz to like – um, the parents who are waiting to get a divorce until their kids go off to college and they kind of think the jazz are like that. Where it's like, let's just get out of this playoff run and we'll kind of blow this up and reassess what we need to do and trade some guys. But Utah, there's just not a lot of great chemistry. Donovan Mitchell's out there playing hero ball. So he's not really getting a lot of guys involved. He passed Rudy Gobert, his center one time in the last game once. 
that's hard to do. That's almost like intentional. And then Rudy Gobert, he's getting fried on Twitter because people call him the defensive player of the year. And then it's like, it's hard for him. Let me try to defend Rudy Gobert as I, if I can. It's not something that I feel good about. I feel kind of slimy doing it. But yeah. Rudy Gobert is one of the best rim protectors in the league, maybe of all time. He's not going to be somebody who's able to switch out on guards because nobody can switch onto those guards like Jalen Brunson. Those guys are really, really good. It's up to a lot of those defenders around him to help him out because, I don't know, you're no math major and I'm not either, but I don't think one guy can guard five people, at least not in the NBA. But Rudy Gobert needs more help on defense. Donovan Mitchell needs more help on offense. Those guys need to help each other. But it looks like they're just like cat fighting like high school girls and they're destined for a, a rebuild here. Absolutely. And rumor has it Rudy Gobert is expendable if they don't keep it up together and make a, like, make a great playoff run. So do you think there's possibility that he could be traded, that he could be dropped? Um, no way he gets cut. Uh, I think that there's a real possibility he could get traded. It's just a matter of like, so Donovan Mitchell is the number one priority for them. They need to figure out what they're going to do with him. Because if he wants out, then that kind of dictates everything. But if you can say to Donovan Mitchell, we'll trade Gobert if you're willing to like sign an extension, you're saying you're going to stay. Because Donovan Mitchell, there's been some rumors that he wants to go to the Knicks. He's from New York. He originally wanted to be drafted by them. He goes to Utah, all that. Um, so... If possible, if I were them, I would try to keep Donovan Mitchell and trade Gobert for whatever pieces to try to support Donovan Mitchell. But if not, then I guess there's a real possibility that you could just trade both those guys and get a lot of young uh, guys in there. I talked to John after the pod about some potential trades where you could trade Gobert to Chicago because they need a defensive center. And maybe you can get Vucevic's expiring contract so you can get some uh, free cap money for the next year and you can get somebody like... um, Patrick Williams, who looks like like a young Kawhi, so it could help them out, and then you could trade Donovan Mitchell for R.J. Barrett and all the Knicks picks, and that's the great start. Great start to a rebuild. I'm not sure how much the Jazz ownership has an appetite for a rebuild because they have a new owner, and new owners usually do not like to go straight into a rebuild because it looks like it's their fault the team's bad. Yeah, and they just don't want to like. I don't blame them if I'm going to spend a billion dollars on a team. I'd like for the team to be good. Absolutely. I know that's controversial, but um. I think the Jazz, they're in real trouble, and it just gets worse and worse because they are a team that blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets in the bubble. They are a team that got played off the floor uh, in the semifinals last year by the Clippers without Kawhi. And this year they're getting beat by the Mavericks without Luka. And Luka, you know, as a Mavericks fan, you know, he might be coming back anytime soon. And if he does, I picked the the Mavericks in seven, and it, looking like that prediction might be true. But it's it's been really fun so far in this the playoffs. Oh, 